0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. There's something that excites us as Aussies about travel. We travel for business, we travel for holiday vacations, we travel for education, sometimes we even travel for pilgrimage. When we can't go and explore the world, we can feel like we're missing out on our God-given freedom to explore. Well, since we can't travel overseas right now, lots of us are likely to be looking for meaningful opportunities to see Australia. So today, an unusual focus as we look into the Christian history of outback New South Wales. And we might be surprised and even a little inspired by the visionaries who shaped Australia with their faith. There are amazing stories of explorers, poets, bush rangers, cameleers, even riverboat captains and ordinary Aussies who shaped Australia. Our guest today is Dr Paul Rowe. He's an historian and tour guide from outback New South Wales with 50 years experience in engaging audiences eye to eye, mind to mind and heart to heart with Australia's powerful stories of faith. He has a doctorate in history that focuses on telling our Australian Christian story. And what an absolute privilege it is to welcome to 2020 Dr. Paul Rowe. Paul, welcome.
1: Thank you, Neil. Pleasure to be here.
0: Hey, Paul, uh, an Outback historian, and uh, lots of people will never have heard that expression before, but how did you get a title of being an Outback historian?
1: Neil, it's a little bit ironic I suppose because uh, basically I've got to confess to being a city boy, I was city bred in Sydney uh, but I've lived most of my life west of the Great Divide and so I feel like I've got a foot either side of the Great Divide I, I did my study and uh, early you know, university study and so on in Sydney uh, but most of my life I've lived west of the Blue Mountains, so out at Burke, about 850 kilometres northwest out in the corner and then presently in Dubbo, so I suppose uh, it's a little bit unique living in a very small town on the edge of the outback uh, has really shaped me and it was my apprenticeship, if you like, as a historian out there.
0: And isn't it amazing that, you know, the gift that we're given, and you've obviously got a tremendous appreciation for uh, all of those wonderful stories that have shaped Outback New South Wales, and and that's grown into even your own sort of tour business, and you lead tours uh, in the Outback of New South Wales. Uh, How long have you been doing that for now, Paul?
1: I should probably explain a little bit wider, Neil, if I can. I went to Bourke in 1978 to begin Cornerstone Community, which was a, like a Christian kibbutz we had out there. And we had young people coming from eventually from all over the world to us out there. So I was 27 years in Burke, But while I lived in Bourke, um, one of the things eventually I got involved with, first of all, I was on local council and then we took on a contract for the tourist centre and our students, some of our leadership school students, were helping run the tourist business, and we started to help Burke grow its stories. And uh, so I began experimenting, if you like, with uh, small tours around Burke, uh, and that sort of evolved into what I'm presently doing. Uh, so I've had this dream evolving for quite a long time of leading people into the kind of experiences I, I had with small pilgrimages if you like around Burke uh, that led me into understanding boy this is this is dynamic this is an amazing thing to be doing so it kind of grew from there.
0: Well let's just focus here just for a moment just a little pause to talk about Cornerstone community because Cornerstone community is still functioning going strong and raising up uh, outback leaders Uh, how's all that working these days?
1: Well, it's sort of shifted a little bit, Neil. We, um, about around 2000 in Burke. anyway, the big drought came, and so we had to close a couple of centres there. We shifted uh, to other centres like Bendigo and Swan Hill and now in Orange and so on. And even in that time, the educational structures all changed and the way of delivering education changed. So for one reason and another, we've sort of morphed into more an apprenticeship style of thing that's happening. So the big farms and... The sort of outback lifestyle thing has faded somewhat, and we're more slightly more <laughs> urbanised in country centres. But for a long time, that was our distinctive. We we took people into a hard experience, I suppose, of living in the outback and farming, and uh, like a kibbutz. And so that was part of the learning experience. And for me, as a historian, Neil, um, I began to see the Bible I was teaching in class uh, and the stories that were I found all around the district, somehow there was a connection that, that it wasn't sort of a, a big disconnect. But we had a very powerful Christian story that was sort of all over the Outback and therefore all over Australia, I think, um, that had a direct connection to the stories I was teaching in the classroom. So I began to see that to un- if we really wanted to understand ourselves we had to understand our own story, and I was—I think—as I the more I researched and thought about it, and interviewed a lot of old timers for the radio station in Burke, um, I found I was being educated by them. That they were uh, teaching me the value of my own story. So that's why I say it was my apprenticeship. It took me into this personal relationship with older Australians who lived lives that were anything like I'd lived in Sydney, and it taught me. Deep respect and appreciation for what these people had given to us And um, sometimes they're good stories, sometimes they're pretty sad stories Like with the Aboriginal people, there were stories, chapters that were very hard to listen to But it it sort of took me uh, into the grassroots of our history And as I was teaching the Bible at the same time, I began to realise You know, there's a lot of similarities here that uh, A lot of the Bible was sort of lived out in in the outback, if you like, in, in rough yeah. country and oftentimes in deserts. And uh, Jesus himself lived sort of up country and he was a country storyteller. So I began to find there was a commonality and a, a resonance there with what I was teaching in the classroom and the people I was moving out amongst in the outback then.
0: Well, you know, mostly when we think of talking about Australia's Christian history, we get bogged down. Uh, let me not say that in a bad mm-hmm. sense, but uh, usually we're talking about Sydney. Uh, we're talking about yep. the earliest days, and really I think in Australian uh, terms, uh, tend, we tend not to have a big understanding of our Christian history, and so we, we're mm. always retelling the stories of uh, you know the arrival of the First Fleet. Uh, we're talking mm. about Richard Johnson, uh, Samuel Marsden. We're, we're focusing on things that happened in Sydney, and those are very colourful stories too, but Christianity uh, really overflowed Sydney and moved especially into outback New South Wales in a magnificent and amazing way. As you say, yes, there's going to be some uh, some uh, sad stories in there as well, but uh, but the overflow into the outback, uh, it was a Christian uh, revolution, wasn't it, in that sense of, of missionaries and people who are carrying their faith into the outback?
1: Well, I think... Uh I have a little saying that uh, Jesus' footprints and fingerprints are all over our country, and uh, I think what I found remarkable, Neil, was living in this small country town, three thousand people, in a very big shire that was the size of Denmark, uh, with about two million kangaroos and about a million emus. Yeah. It was kinda of, <laughs> it was uh, amazing as I was listening and, and following the stories of Burke to find, even though it was a small town and a remote town. But the stories that had happened there had grown into something amazing, as big as Australia. So um, I came across uh, characters there that were, were were astonishing, really. So in the 1890s, for example, in Burke, uh, Burke began about 1860, and the first riverboat got to Burke. So Burke very quickly developed into Australia's most inland port, and uh, massive amounts of wool were, were being by 1890 were being transported away down the river. There was something like 15 million sheep in the back corner of New South Wales within 30 years and the biggest sheep station in the world was there it was a combination of three stations Terrell and and Dunlop and it was owned by a man called Samuel McCackie who derived arrived in backcountry Victoria as a young man uh, without anything and he, through his uncles he got a start and he proved to be a man of tremendous capacity. He was Basically, the father of the Murrumbidgee irrigation scheme. And then he owned these three big properties in Burke by the mid 1880s, and he was the first man to use mechanical shears in Australia. He was the first, um, he was an inventor of many, many uh, uh, sort of earth moving equipment, if you like. Uh, he was a, a prodigious builder, he built homesteads, and by the mid 1880s, he was shearing half or well, quarter of a million sheep on his own property. And uh, so he was. He had this enormous capacity, and he was a man of education. He he was a, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of English literature, uh, and he was a Christian. He was a Presbyterian uh, man, and uh, he had a very big heart for people. And so he was a philanthropist. So by, 19, by in the eighteen nineties, he he formed the Pastoralist Union in Burke to fight. The Shearers Union, which was forming in Burke at the same time, the, the Australian Shearers Union was forming around the 1890 mark, and a bloke called William Spence had come up from Victoria, and he also was a Presbyterian preacher, and his stated aim was to show the working men that Jesus Christ cared for them, and so the AW, well, the Shearers Union eventually became the AWU, the Australian Workers Union, which eventually morphed into the Labor Party. So he was a man of great Christian conviction. He wanted to help the men. And so in the 1890s, he was in the streets of Burke with all the Labour leaders who were living there at the time. They were all the cutting edge socialists, if you like, of the time. And when Henry Lawson came to Burke in 1892, he began to write for them. And uh, a lot of the stories he wrote into the bulletin in, his, in Australia were stories from Burke and stories of the Union men that he met and he was a sort of a convinced Unionist uh, because he identified with the men. He walked from station to station looking for work himself so he knew how hard it was. So you had these two men leading the two <laughs> opposing unions who were both Christians, both Presbyterians. Um, eventually Samuel McHackie, um he, when he died in 1919, he sold everything he had and put it into trust for churches, education, and hospitals. And it was about 38 million pounds in those days. So he's basically the Bill Gates of Australia. Wow. And... Uh, so, and it's still, you know, Burke Hospital still gets money from the Mackay Fund. There, and there are chairs in universities that are still funded by the Mackay Fund.
0: That is amazing, and, uh, and I think listeners will be uh, amazed when you start to say uh, that the union leaders of the day were Presbyterian preachers, and uh, so those sorts of foundations. Well, some of them were. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, okay. Not all. Okay. Them. All right. Well, the, well, the, 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 we often will sometimes reflect on Christian foundations of the labour movement, and of course uh, that yeah. looks a little bit different today, and I'm not, not taking you into a political conversation except to say yeah. uh, you've yeah. discovered that there is so much Christian history that even shapes the way the labour movement formed in Australia because it was all about Christian leaders there wanting the welfare of workers. Is that a fair enough way of of, of assessing that?
1: Well I think that's true I mean if you trace the, the origins of the, the labour movement back through A lot of it has to do with Methodists uh, in England uh, And then I think they, a lot of what the unions had was driven by the Methodists And uh, they, they they understood small group uh, action And so I think the, the idea of cadres in the socialist or the union movement Came out of the Methodist movement personally I think there's a very strong link there and a lot of the leaders in England were were Christian men and women, and so um, I, I, yeah, I think it's fair to say I wouldn't say the whole movement was Christian. Uh, uh, That's probably going too far. But it was certainly underpinned by very strong Christian values.
0: And let's talk about the idea that if you were jumping in the car and uh, loading the family up right now, and uh, let's uh, just the the realism here is that. Uh, there's still some border issues around different states around the place, but uh, but if you're uh, mum and dad and throwing the kids into the car because it's holiday time and you're thinking, well, we've done the beach, we've done the mountains, how about we go and explore some Christian history in outback New South Wales? Is there a way that you can do that? I mean, yes, <clears throat> you're leading tours, but, uh, but can you put the family in the car and, and all of a sudden go and just go on a pilgrimage to find our Christian history? Can Can people do that?
1: Well, that's a pretty good question, Neil, and I think if uh, that's really what's driven me somewhat after all my experience and things. so that's why I'm doing this first pilgrimage really, um, because I feel no, you can't, like you you can you can explore some of it. And uh, in Burke, for example, we—I was involved in well, uh, 20 years ago, getting together uh, our history in Burke and the Burke region. And so there's a beautiful uh, interpretive centre in Burke called the Back of Burke Exhibition Centre. And uh, so some, and I had a fair bit to do with writing the stories there. And so, um, there, you know I, I tried to keep a balance, and I tried to write the honest Christian story in there. So, you know, if you came to that centre, you would find stories of, um, for example, the Far West Children's Scheme was begun in the 1920s by the Reverend Stanley Drummond and his wife from Cobar. And uh, they they were men and women of great heart. And I interviewed old-timers who knew them and and very much appreciated what they gave to the backcountry. And people like Nancy Bird, the aviatrix, she actually flew, as a 19-year-old girl, she flew for West Children's Scheme, inspired by uh, Reverend Stanley Drummond, and also she flew for the Flying doctors with John Flynn. And she told me, when I interviewed her some years ago, that she said, well, Mr. Flynn and Mr. Drummond were like fathers to me as a young girl pilot in the outback. So they were covering vast areas of the outback uh, with Christian compassion in a practical sleeves rolled up sort of fashion. Uh, and the sad thing, I think, Neil, is that Australia's forgotten that, that uh, they'll, they're will they very ready to accept and appreciate the, the work of the Flying Doctor Service and of the Far West Children's Scheme, but the the, the thing that drove their founders is often buried, it's lost, it's become invisible that uh, John Flynn was a man of faith, uh, and I've taken a pilgrimage of young boys, 15-year-old boys from Wyoming, New South Wales, up to Darwin, and twice I've led them through the John Flynn story and stood them in front of John Flynn's grave in Alice Springs and said to them you know you boys you you know John Flynn was 16 when God put a call on his heart what what do you want God to do with your lives and I saw those boys square their shoulders and and look at me and say I'd really like God to use me for something and uh, so I think there are heroes like these men that we need to be introducing not just because they're religious, but because they're men and women of calibre. It was their faith that gave them their their backbone. It was the sinews of their faith that drove what they did. And I think it's sad that we've lost that, and my passion is to reintroduce, to surface that invisible story as it's become. In fact, I'll even go so far as to say there's been a fairly cynical attempt uh, by secular historians and others to edit the Christian story out of our story, and my Passion is to reinstate, to reinstate it, to bring it back into focus. Not because just because it's religious, or because it agrees with my faith, but because it is part. It's an integral part of our Australian story. So, in answer to your question, no, you will not always find the story. It's, it's sort of lost. And the job I feel is that we've got to recover that story. And I want to inspire young men and women, historians, teachers preachers, chaplains, to get a hold of our local stories and tell them because we need to know our own story.
0: Well, Paul, all I can say is uh, there's a great weight of responsibility sitting on your shoulders now to make sure that Uh, this wonderful knowledge that you have gained in all of your studies and this 50 years of being an Outback historian. uh, You know, we're we're going to be waiting for uh, some wonderful publications and ways that we can explore these things. And as you say, the best way to appreciate those things is to actually go to these Mm. places and when you've got an expert tour guide, as you no doubt, uh, well, as listeners can hear, the way you'll be able to relay those sorts of stories would be absolutely priceless, wonderful. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Hey, we're talking about the Outback Christian history and focusing in on Outback New South Wales. But if you're in other states and territories around Australia, feel free to call in and let us know what some of the Christian history is. And you'll need to keep it nice and brief, but keep, that, uh, but, uh, keep those history uh, issues coming. 1-800-316-316. Dr Paul Rowe is our guest. Hey, Paul, you're leading a tour between Dubbo in New South Wales and Burke, And you've got a... It's a seven-day tour, and it sounds to me to be action-packed. Give us an, in a nutshell, uh, way that you can actually talk about Australia's Outback Christian history in a tour between Dubbo and Burke.
1: OK, well, in Dubbo, uh, I worked with an Indigenous brother here, and uh, we discovered, worked together on bringing a very very important story to light and we discovered that there was a, a lost story about a man called Bill Ferguson who was an indigenous man who lived in Dubbo in the 1930s and i we we agreed that this man was in fact the the Martin Luther King of Australia because in 1937 he the first uh, one of the first civil rights movements uh, in Australia to stand up for the rights of the Indigenous people. He was a Christian man he was an elder in the Presbyterian Church which was rare in those days to have an Indigenous man as a leader in a church and uh, he with another brother and in, uh, an Indigenous man in Victoria a man called Bill Cooper um, together they, they led the first civil rights action on Australia Day in 1938 and they went to Parliament and they asked the Prime Minister from the Bible, they were both Christian men, uh, the Bible says we're all God's children. Why aren't we being treated as such? Well, uh, we managed to get Bill Ferguson's story up in front of children. We tell it in the schools. And part of what happened about a year ago was that the city agreed to put a statue of Bill Ferguson right in the centre of the city. So he's now a main feature of this town. So that's a beginning point to tell the story of a Christian man who stood up for the rights of the Indigenous people and it belongs to Dubbo. Uh, so that's a beginning point um, and so I introduce, we'll introduce people to that and a couple of other stories of, uh, well, it, another Indigenous man who's taken action, uh, Peter Gibbs, who's begun the iProud movement to help train ab- Indigenous pe- police. Um, and uh, another, a, a Tongan man who's leading uh, what's called Tradies Insight here in Dubbo uh, to help uh, traders who are in strife with depression and, and suicide. So I want them to meet uh, men and, and women who are proactive in helping their fellow men. And that, there's some great stories here in Dubbo. So that's where we begin. Uh, we go through Narrowmine, which has got an aero history, and there's a beautiful uh, aero museum there. And um, and then we head to Burke through, well, Banjo Patterson territory. <laughs> Some of the stories he wrote about Clancy of the Overflow, and then into Burke, and pick up a lot of the Burke stories. Some of them I've told you, but there are many, many others. And that was the thing, Neil, that I found. Even though they were small towns, these stories were big stories, you know. And so then we follow uh, we swing away from Burke down through to a little town on the Darling called Louth. So we go through Terrell Station which was owned by Macackie we hear his story, we go to Gundabooka National Park where an indigenous man, a Christian brother's uh, a a ranger there and he tells the story of his own people there Then we swing it back through Bawarana through the the famous fish traps there which are probably the oldest man made construction in the world Uh, and again we meet some indigenous people there and then Head south into the Macquarie Marshes, which would be beautiful actually if you're travelling out west this time. It's beautiful, it's a fantastic spring at the moment, and after the rain. And then uh, we head across to Coonabarabran and we catch up with the Warren Bungle, the story of the Warren Bungle Mountains and uh, and Siding Springs Observatory. So there's the whole story of the stars and the back through Gilgandra to Dubbo. So it's an eight day sort of circuit we do.
0: You actually go past Cuddy Springs and uh, yep. a place renowned to be the only uh, place in Australia where there's fossil evidence of humans and megafauna such as uh, diprotodons coexisting. Uh, yeah. How do you tell the story of uh, you know this sort of ancient history here?
1: Well, that's a good question. I, you've caught me out a little bit there. I'm not an expert. I just know that that, that is a fact. It is quite astonishing uh, that we we've got this ancient history, and uh, the footprints of uh, the the indigenous people alongside uh, some pretty serious big animals back there. Um, How you interpret that is another question, but it'll be be an interesting one. I'm sure it'll cause a lot of discussion. Uh,
0: You know, I just mentioned that because uh, just last week I had a conversation and we were talking about dinosaur footprints and the the idea that uh, human and dinosaur footprints might be in the same uh, section uh, that uh, throws all sorts of challenging uh, issues for people who believe a, a solid evolutionary theory. When in fact, uh, a biblical sense here is that uh, is that in a biblical sense uh, we have uh, humans and uh, dinosaurs uh, existing together. But that's look, we're not going into that whole uh, depth of that today. We're talking about going on a tour and uh, so going on a holiday. The sort of people that uh, that you lead on your tours are they people who are on holiday? or do they have a special idea of they're doing some special academic study or uh, school groups? I mean, will you take anybody, Paul? Who, who's the sort of people that actually come on a tour with you?
1: OK, well, if I can go back, Neil, when I was in Bourke, um, with the with school kids I was teaching, um, because we had such a strong literary history in Burke. so we had uh, Breaker Morant, uh, a famous sort of soldier poet uh, who died in the Boer War, he, he lived in Burke, along with another Scots poet called Will Ogilvie and then Lawson uh, Henry Lawson, they were all in Burke about the same time. Shortly after that around the 1900 mark um, a very famous Australian writer Charles Bean came to Burke, wrote two books about Burke, went to Gallipoli and France as Australia's war historian came back with that story and planted it in the War Memorial in Canberra. So he Wrote five million words about the Anzacs and basically go to the Anzac story, but he said the men he met in the trenches were the men he met in Burke and, and admired their their great tenacity and skill. Um, so we we had a very rich uh, literary history here in Burke. So I took these kids on a trek and I said, okay, we'll we'll go to where they they actually wrote these poems. We'll visit the places. So we went on this outback trek and. Um, after that had been such a success when we got, uh, took over the tourist centre I found myself um, <clears throat> saying oh, I think we could turn this into a tourist pilgrimage so we did um, and uh, it became a very successful thing called the poet's trek and so we take people every year and follow the steps of Henry Lawson break around, and Breaker and we tell their stories on location. And something I discovered, Neil, was that when you take people to the place it happened and you tell the story there, some, some real magic happens.
0: Paul, as we continue our conversation on from here, uh, some important elements. Uh, you have a passion for training up storytellers. It's all very well to say, hey, Paul's a great storyteller and he's leading these tours, but you want to see this spread far and wide, don't you?
1: Well, that's true, Neil. I think, uh, in fact, we we uh, we're all storytellers. We every day we're telling stories, and uh, we need to sort of, if we get a hold of the stories that have shaped us, shaped Australia, uh, then we'll be richer for it. I think.
0: And of course, you want to be able to get into some resources that are easily accessible to people who might be listening to our conversation now. And so you've got the launch of a new website that's coming up at the end of October. Uh, what's all that about?
1: Well, uh, I, I realise at this end of my life, uh, I mean, I've had all the experiences. And as you say, I've learned a lot about storytelling and, and uh particularly the eye-to-eye, mind-to-mind, heart-to-heart, which I borrowed from the Scottish Storytelling Centre, to be honest. Uh, But they said we need to rescue people from the solitary confinement of the screen. And that for eons, like gathering the tribe around the the campfire and telling them the stories of their people uh, has been a powerful way of shaping a culture. So Moses told the people back in the desert You need to tell these stories to your children, every generation. If you stop telling the kids the stories, if you stop living the story, then it'll die. And if you follow the history of Israel, you'll see when they stop telling their stories, that's when they lost the plot. But by the same token, the story of Israel, and you think of their long, long history, um, the one thing that's kept them together through an extraordinary uh, history of persecution and Uh, being deported and and driven out uh, is their story. That's the one thing they had. They had their story and they kept that story alive by telling it uh, in their synagogues or to their children around the meal table and I think there's something we've got to learn Neil, that we need to be telling our children the stories and living the stories ourselves. So um, um, the Aboriginal people, of course, had done this for a long, long time and, and they had what they called song lines. As they walked their country, they'd sing their song line and their song line told them who they were, where they'd come from. Every mountain, every tree, every river, every rock had some story associated with it and that would make them feel grounded in their own territory. That would show them who they were. And they had a little saying, if you don't know your song line, you don't exist. Uh, by singing your song line, you keep... The story alive which is pretty powerful isn't
0: it it is so so powerful and it's interesting uh, when we talk about the way that our uh, modern ac- academics uh, try to write out the Christian connection a little bit of an illustration in there isn't there because lots of listeners uh, will be familiar with the Royal Flying Doctors service and will say oh yep. isn't that a wonderful uh, organization and's it got a rich Australian mm. history and uh, founded by John Flynn and what often is left off that is that it's the reverend john flynn who founded the royal flying doctor's service there's even a visitor experience in dubbo that's part of your tour Uh, but uh, Mm. when we reflect on how these things can be easily lost yes there are going to be some stories there but the christian connection is the thing that some people are trying to write out of our history what are your thoughts around the the way that happens
1: yeah well that's a good question neil i think um well, as I said, I led it led still with young blokes, and, and, and John Flynn is, in fact, the most memorialised Australian. I think he's got more statues and, and interpretive centres than anybody else. And if you go from Dubbo to Darwin, you'll find them all along the way. But uh, I, in visiting those centres, I would say that, and as I say sort of carefully, I'm not sort of being overly critical, but I, I was sad to think, to find that very, very few, they might call him the reverend but they don't really tell that, that part of his story, which was deeply rooted in faith. And the men and women who went with him, most of them also went into those those nurses who went way into the outback, or the pilots who flew, or the doctors that went there, were men and women of faith. That's why they went there. And I said to these boys, look, John Flynn, at 21, he wrote to his dad, Dad, if Jesus Christ is God's son, and he really entered this world to show us the Father, then why aren't we doing more to show people this and so for him the flying doctor service was an expression of the kingdom of God he said people out here don't need churches so much as they need hospitals um, they need connection they need community and so he gave his whole life to connecting the people of the bush to medical care and through the, the pedal radio that Alfred Traeger invented a young nerd from down in South Australia um, together they gave the bush a voice, and with the voice came education for children on school of the air and so on. And so his medal of safety was more than just medical care. But as a padre said to me down in Broken Hill, well, John Flynn put two medals for safety over Australia. He also put a spiritual medal of safety because he had padres who travelled and visited the stations and gave pastoral care to the people, so it's good that the second, I think what's happened is the second medal of safety that spiritual medal, has been forgotten and our secular historians have decided, well uh, we're not allowed to talk about name name the name of Jesus anywhere because we don't want to offend people Um, but it just it it makes me cranky, (laughs) it gets me angry thinking, well, it's not like we're talking religion, we're talking about The motivation of these people Why did they actually do it And why can't we say that You know it just drives me crazy To think that part of the story Has gone missing And so we need to get storytellers Who will step into the gap there And I I think we need interpreters Of the story Because I know that the stories Are all there I come across them in every town And village and city I go to I can see stories everywhere But people walk past it And don't see it So for example uh, when I went to the big war memorial in, in Melbourne, um, some friends took me in there and we, we'd we been talking about the Anzac story and so on. And we went into the big archery in there and uh, they stand you in the middle of this big marble floor under a big roof and uh, they stand you around this rock in the middle of the floor and they say, you know, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the sun shines through that hole in the roof right onto this rock here. And there's words carved on the rock. And so the lady stood us there and she said, the lest we forget poem. And then I said to her, so what's what's the rock? What's with these words on the rock? What's carved into the rock is the other words, greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And she looked at me and she said, well, it's from the Bible, but it's not religious. I said, oh, really? And uh, I said, that's interesting. So do you know who said it? And she didn't. So she found somebody else and he came back. I said, I think it's Jesus. Anyway, he made up a story. Now, I'm not denigrating those people, but I think it comes back to us, Neil, to say, well, hang on a minute. Why aren't we there saying to people, well, actually, why didn't city fathers choose those words in 1919? To express the great loss of young life. Uh, why did they choose those words? Why didn't they choose Aristotle or Plato or Henry Lawson or whatever? But they chose the words of Jesus because he not only said it, but he actually did it. He laid down his life for his friends and his enemies. Well, that's a big story. And it has shaped our, our whole culture here. You know, it's demonstrable. There's more evidence you can poke a stick at that says the footprints of Jesus are all over this country. And I think it's time we Christians stood up and told the stories because if we don't tell it, nobody else is going to. Uh,
0: That is just fascinating and so, so powerful. And when you say uh, in the wake of the likes of the Reverend John Flynn came a spiritual mantle of safety for outback communities, and I know there'll be a lot of people in outback communities listening right now to our conversation saying, wow, I wish that spiritual mantle was still... Uh, really powerful yep. in my town and so when mm. these stories get revived uh, those sorts of spiritual mantles can be restored hey there's plenty of stories and we haven't got a lot of time to touch on all of the ones that we could talk about today but there's another one from the bush brothers uh, touch yep. on the the bush brothers for us
1: well around 1900 uh there's a young um Young man who was a, a top athlete and uh, he was uh, serving the British government here in Australia, but he was out shooting in uh, the Macquarie Marshes above Dubbo here, and he came across a little girl uh, out living on the station who knew nothing about Jesus, and he was appalled, he was shocked, you know, and he said, I'm going to do something about this. So when he went back to England, his name was Freddie Campion, he went to his bishop and Bishop Temple and said, you know, we need to do something. So they decided they would get young men from England from Oxford University mainly to come to Australia on mission and give five years of their life to serving in the bush which they did and they had a base here in Dubbo and one up in Rockhampton I think uh, and and Longreach and they began these men came from all the way from England and they'd, uh, they'd spread out into the bush so some went to Burke, Gilgandra, um, out further out past Cobar and so on and these young men in the 1920s were travelling the bush in pretty beat up old cars and they were some, partly from the high church tradition but they I think the bush taught them a lot about themselves and I've talked to people in the bush who still appreciate and look back to the days when the bush brothers would visit and uh, run a Sunday school they run communion or whatever for the people on the stations and or just hang out like John Flynn taught his padres, just hang out with them, do what they could on the station, maybe help out with some station work and serve the people of the outback. So the Bush brothers, um, there was one particular young bloke, he was the first Australian Bush brother, John Martin. He went to Bourke at 22 and he was serving an area as big as England and uh, he was was driving this whole team model forward and he was getting bogged and breakdowns and goodness knows what. But he just thrived on it. And uh, the people of Burke really, really appreciated his service. He would play piano for their dancers. He'd go and spend a night in the the hospital helping the nurses. Uh, Whatever was to be done, he was there. He gave himself utterly to the people of the bush. Well, we should be proud of young men like that. And their stories should be told. I mean, he died at 29 in Sydney playing soccer with some street kids down there in the domain. But, um, you know, Neil, I just feel we've got these... Men and women of faith who are real heroes, and we need to give kids real heroes, and these stories need to be told. Now, a thing that shocked me, I think, and here I'm not being uh, discriminatory, but I think it it really stabbed me awake when uh, I found that the state government in Victoria and the federal government had funded a, a museum for Muslim history in. Norman, which has been open for a few years and they're getting 30 40 50 thousand people in schools coming through there to learn the muslim history of australia well that's okay i mean that's fair enough there is a, a history of those people here um and i was shocked when i looked on the website and they had a group of young blokes traveling australia looking for afghan history and they found their big find was in burke was a little tin shed which we've got in the cemetery there which was probably the first mosque in australia and i rescued it i when I was the historian up there, the old lady who owned it that was in her backyard told me, well, she'd been sold to an Afghan cameleer in the 19, early 1900s as, for 10 shillings as a bride, a 13-year-old. And uh, she lived with, what he, she said, that man, I lived with that man for 56 years. Well, it's an amazing story. And But when I saw the, those fellows, they were down praying in front of their mosque. Uh, at first, I was thinking, oh, what did I do? And then I realised, well, actually, you know, that was part of the history of Bourke. But I know the history of Bourke very well. And I know that the Christians have given a hundred, a thousand times more than those Afghan camelees who came basically to drive camels. But I know that Mother Teresa, for example, had nuns in Bourke. I know that. Mother Mary McKillop had nuns in Burke who served in education and served the people of Burke. I know the Bush brothers were there. I know there are clergymen of all kinds. Cornerstone had been there. Flying doctor service, Far West Children's Scheme, you name it. There's been a prodigious uh, input by Christians into that town. And the shame was, and this is what stabbed me awake now, was that who's telling our story? because we're not you know the the Muslims have got active and they've got up and they've got a museum and they're telling their story well you've got to applaud them and say well good for them <laughs> but it's shame on us that we haven't got our stories together because I think everywhere across Australia those footprints are there and they're not being told and so the shame the responsibility lies with us because we're the custodians of the story and like Moses said you need to be telling your story to your children and I think We failed to do what Jesus said we should do, put our light up on the hill. Let men see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you if uh, there's some way uh, that listeners can know what the address is for this new website that you're talking about for the 28th of October with that launch. I'll ask you about that in just a few moments, and listeners might like to uh, grab a pen or a pencil to write that down. But what we're talking about here is, uh, as you say, uh, there is uh, effort being made uh, to outline and highlight Muslim history, uh, even, as you say, Afghan history uh, in Australia, but where is the Christian history being housed? Now, you have a goal somewhere down the track, and no doubt uh, it's a big process. No doubt it's an expensive process too, but maybe it doesn't need to be as expensive as what the ultimate goal might be to get things underway. But you've got a goal uh, to create a storytelling apparatus in Canberra. Uh, no doubt it's going to cost dollars, and there needs to be some more visionaries that join you along the journey. but that's a that's a huge goal uh, what do you, What have you got in mind with the the possibility of that happening?
1: Well, I think uh, when I began in Burke, uh, we began saying we need to tell our Burke story. So we had twelve volumes of Burke history. I was thinking, how do we get this out there? And so we set ourselves to work and over a ten year period we raised eight million dollars and we built, a top class uh, facility in Burke called the Backer Burke a- a- Exhibition Centre. Now um, people at the time in Burke were saying, oh you'll never get it done why would they build that in a small town like this etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's there and that taught me a lesson there that um, if you believe something should be done then you can get it done and out of that experience I began to see with a friend who was an expert in museums, he was a, a design manager in the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney a Christian, we began to share a dream that, you know, why couldn't we tell our Christian story at a top level um, in a world-class facility in our own national capital? Because it's missing. Um, There's a missing story there in Canberra that's not being told. And, you know, when 100,000 kids go to the War Memorial every year... um, and uh, see the Anzac story, and it's a big story, but it's a narrow story. It's about war. It's about men. It mostly happened outside Australia. I think we Christians have a wider, deeper, longer, more powerful history to tell, and we're not telling it. And so um, uh, we began to dream a dream with a group of others. Um, Professor Stuart Piggin has written two magnificent books on Australia's evangelical history recently. Um, so we're not short sure of resources in that sense The research has been done um, Then Meredith Lake wrote her book on the Bible in Australia and so on So there's some excellent books being published But who's going to sit down and read you know, a thousand pages of Australia's Christian history? Not many people But they will go to a museum Museums have become one of the sources of authority In fact people look to museums more than they do to the church Or to even schools uh, to, for their information So it's time we engaged people with these great stories. And we've got fantastic stories to tell. And I should say, Neil, too, we need to tell not just the good stories, not not just hagiography, not making saints, but we need to tell, honestly, the bad stories or the ugly stories as well, and then the redeemed stories. Uh, And so it's the good, the bad, and the redeemed. And I think if we give that as a gift to Australia and make them accessible, so this this could cost $100 million. If we're going to do it well... Uh, We need to build the very best facility because we've got the very best stories. And it's a very, very significant part of Australia's history and so we owe it to our own country to remind Australians, whether they're secular or atheist or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, um, that this is where so much of what we have, the blessing we have in this COVID time, for example, the medical care, the social welfare, um, all that, uh, where did it come from? It didn't just drop out of the sky. It actually was invested by hundreds and thousands of fine men men and women of faith who gifted this country with the structures that we have, that we take for granted. And it's time we stood up and said, and don't forget that um, the source of their initiative came from their faith.
0: Wow, and the urgency of what you're saying now can't be underestimated. As you say, uh, this is a history that needs to be on display because as you can as you say there's uh, some fabulous resources that really only just recently have become so available uh, the mm-hmm. work of uh, professor Stuart piggin you mentioned meredith lake uh, another uh, historian mike spencer who wrote one yep. people one destiny i mean there are some really recently yeah john
1: harris wrote a one, yeah, yes, harris wrote one week, blood
0: Yep. and so we've got we've got some of this it is fairly recent but it needs to have depth and as you say people won't read a big academic volume on history but they'll go to a museum they'll go to an exhibition center and uh, all honor to you for the back of Burke exhibition center and that's a part of your a tour as well but uh, the idea of getting uh, some sort of uh, apparatus in place in the national mm. capital in Canberra that's got urgency mm. to it and uh, so the encouragement to listeners today is to uh, capture a hold of that sort of vision and uh, some listeners may want to be on the team uh, to help make that happen Absolutely. it's a challenging yep. time to to make it happen but as I say the urgency can't be underestimated hey, we have run out of time and mm. I just want to I did mention you've got your website release coming up on the 28th of October. Uh, yep. Is there a website address that listeners can yep. uh, can can yep. get a hold of? What is it?
1: Yes, so uh, on the 28th we'll have theoutbackhistorian one word dot com dot au. Simple as that.
0: Theoutbackhistorian dot com dot au. So uh, mm-hmm. so uh, for That's listeners it. to to write that down. Uh, theoutbackhistorian dot com. I'm writing it down now, as we say, <laughs> uh, .au. And That's of course, it, yep. and for people who want to be a part of one of your amazing tours, I did mention you've got one coming up, the next pilgrimage mm. from Dubbo to Burke, 25th of October to the 1st of November, assuming everything's going to be good there so far as That's coronavirus. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, people book that through olivetreetravel.com.au. That's, That's olive- tree- yeah. travel.com.au uh, And uh, just uh, honour to you. It's just been a... Wonderful conversation, and Paul. Let's plan to do this again sometime soon. We'll pick up on some more right, of right. those wonderful stories, and maybe monitor along going. the way. Yeah. And he moves towards uh, the possibility of a museum in Canberra, which uh, it's a wonderful yeah. vision. Uh, Dr. Paul okay. Rowe, a historian, tour guide, uh, do take advantage. Uh, Jot down that, go to that website when it's launched, theoutbackhistorian.com.au. Olive Tree travel to join one of Paul's tours. Paul, thanks so much for your update today and for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us on 2020.
1: Well, Neil, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.